You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. How are we doing, church? Doing good? Awesome. You're looking and sounding good. Great to have pastors Darren and Beck back from holidays and in the house. Even though they're they're still on holidays, you are not allowed to talk work with them. Leave them alone. Give them a hug. Give them a slap. Whatever. Give them money. Even better yet. But don't talk about work. If you've got any work situations, keep them. Just talk to him on Tuesday. Yeah. And do that. It'll wait, I'm sure. Mm. It's true. But so good to be here. Hey, it was, uh, it was great having a whole church together for the past few weeks. You, you, you sense the synergy. If you weren't there on the 31st of December, last day of 2018... We made an announcement, you might not have heard, but uh, the leadership made a decision to buy the Victory Center. We actually bought that. Now, that's a bold move. I'll tell you why it's a bold move, because we don't own a building to have church services in. People say, oh, we don't have a church. Hello, what are you? We do have a church, a powerful church. It's called People. Um, but what we decided was instead of investing our money in a, in a warehouse kind of building that's used a couple of times a week and it sits vacant the rest of the week, we're going to invest our money into a center that's going to be, we're going to investigate the best ways to use it for the community. Yeah. We want to be a church for the community, not just a church in the community. Yeah. And so we did that at the end of the year and, uh, and things are starting to ramp up. If you've not seen it, it looks good. But if you're kind of new around the place and you're not familiar with Victory, the vision that's here is at least two decades old. It's not new, but new things are happening because of the vision. But what it means is this, that um, God told us years ago to spread out the place of your tent. Our ministries, we need eight locations a week to operate our ministries. Not eight warehouses to have eight services, but eight places where our church operates impacting the city for the kingdom of God. We actually have, I think it's five Ush centers at that service about 450, somewhere there about 450, how many? 450 families, about 1,000 kids a week. When we used to be in one location, the maximum we could care for would be about 150 kids. I want you to get that in your system right now. We have multiplied our effect into the community almost tenfold in that area alone. How did we do that? Because we got kicked off our property. Well, we didn't get kicked off. But, yeah. How odd of God. It wouldn't have happened had we stayed on one property. Right? And, uh, and then we have different things happening all over the city and what that means by investing that money into that building, we still have money. It's now, which I said to Pastor Darren yesterday, I said, we're not going to work, but I just want to get you ready. We're getting on our bike and we're starting to travel around looking for new premises for Northwest. You're outgrowing this. Now, if that makes you insecure, good. We'll just give you a hug and we'll carry you along. The job of the leader, like Moses, imagine they're exiting, uh, they're exiting Egypt and there's about 2 million plus people. Now you can imagine in those people, you got the young bucks. They're running ahead of everybody going, George, come on, let's get out of here. And they're leaving everybody behind. And then you got the oldies and the cripples in the back. It's not me. He called me old last week when he did the offering. That's what my grandkids did when we did FaceTime. They saw the beard. Granddad, you're looking old. You look like Father Christmas. I thought, I'm not old. Anyway, um, 
So you've got the ones in the back that can't run as fast and they're getting left behind. Then you've got this big clump in the middle going, uh. the job of the leader is to keep them all together so that they cross together. And so it's our time now to start looking for something for here. Okay? And if, you know, if it makes you secure that, oh, I just like this building, I like where we're going, get over that. The building is not you. The building is not Northwest. The building is not the house of God. Man, I've preached in, in, in places in Fiji where there was nothing but bamboo poles holding up sheet metal. And as the church grew, they just added another layer of sheet metal. We had to trek through mud ankle deep to get to where the stage was. And yet there's over a thousand people there out in the middle of a field. Church is where God's people are at doing his will. So anyway, we're looking for you, right? Good. We're going to do that. Hey, this is the new thing I want you to believe for that God's going to do something new because we've been, we've been trying to make it happen here. And what God has for Northwest right now cannot happen here. Bottom line. Because God's ready to break out. And He's ready to do more than you can ask or imagine. Cannot be contained by this. Right? Are you ready for that? You excited about that? Good. All right, we're going to do it. Awesome. So, the deal is, guys, we started uh, talking about a series on you. You better start that clock. He's putting me on African time. I can go for two hours. Thank you, Elijah. I can do that, hey? I can do that. Man, I've preached in Asia where they just keep going. Just have a drink of water and go another hour. All right? Okay. Yeah, that's when I was younger. All right, I know, Earl. I'm so glad I don't have to go live at youth camp next week. Anyway. Hey, we started with this revelation truth, and it's not revelation, but when you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And the deal is this. It's easy to quote a scripture, but... It's another thing to live it. And when we know this truth and we live this truth and the the, the revelation of that truth is actually life and breath to us, we become something, somebody new. But here's the deal that we looked at last week. Being a new creation isn't just for you. It isn't just about you. Believe it or not, God is not Western. He's not caught up in our culture that it's all about me. And so the deal is this, when you are something new or somebody new, it leads to doing something new. Right? I like what N.T. Wright said in his commentary on this. This It's pretty good. Something new has happened. Something new must now happen. In that text in 2 Corinthians 5 where God says, if you were in Christ, you're a new creation. He goes on and tells us something new about our life that we never did before, that is awesome, that is incredible, that is so beneficial. And he says this, you are going to represent me as my ambassador. You ever watch the ambassadors to nations on TV and you go, God, I like that job. Well, I want to tell you, you got to, no, you wouldn't. Oh, it'd be awesome. But I tell you what, you've got a, you've got a better job as an ambassador of a kingdom that knows no end. But here's the deal. Last week we saw this, that as an ambassador, what God has entrusted us with is a message and a ministry. But here's the deal. People go, message, right, that's you and Darren. You you guys do that stuff. Beck does that stuff. Janet does that stuff. No, 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 no. The word message there literally means word. You have been given the word of reconciliation. 
See, when we think messages as we do in our style, we think, I'm not a preacher. I don't get up and preach. I don't. Did you know the word preaching isn't even in the original language? It's actually the word proclaim. Tell. You go, well, shut up and sit down. <laughs> no. What he's saying is every one of us have been given at this word that is so incredible that it says, the Father says, come home. I've made a way for you to come home. Come back to me. And he's given us, when we hear the word ministry, that word can be translated as serving. It's the exact same word in the original. We have been given the, the word and the ability to serve people, to bring them home to the Father. Why do you think we like putting up on our screens wherever we're at, welcome home? Because that's the Father's word of reconciliation he's entrusted us with. No matter how long you've been away from home, you can come home. Now, we've been try- that's what we do, which is awesome. How incredible is that? But being made new doesn't just give us something new to do. Here's where we're going today and probably next week. Being made new will take us to new places. Get that in your head. And we see this in, in a, like a type. The, you know, most things in the Old Testament are called a type or a foreshadow of things to come. Right? Right? Okay, so Egypt to the Israelites and the people of God is a type of bondage. It's a type of being lost and bound by an enemy. Right? The exodus is a type of getting out of bondage, salvation. Right? Crossing the Jordan into the promised land is a foreshadow of even a better land to come, a promised land for us. We know ultimately it's a new heaven and a new earth, but while we're here now, them crossing over the Jordan into the promised land is a type of us learning to live a life of victory. I am, I am staggered by how many Christians do not live in victory. Why? They still have an exodus mentality. They still want to be rescued. Right? And so what we find in Joshua chapter 1, we find this type of entering into a new place. Here's the deal. The children of Israel getting ready to cross the Jordan River, to come into the promised land. Their parents had come out of Egypt, the place of bondage. They were coming out of the wilderness, a place of wandering and aimless and no purpose, defeat. They were now entering the promised land, a place of possessing and a place of victory. And that's what it represents for us. To own something that God has already paid for and to walk in the victory that God has given to us. So we're going to start this week by looking at Joshua chapter 1. If you've got your paper Bible and you want to look at it that way, you can do that as Pastor Simeon calls it, our analog Bible. If you've got a digital Bible like Pastor Darren and Pastor Beck's doing right now. I still like paper in my hands. Anyway, Joshua chapter 1, I'm going to read from the New King James verse 1. It'll be on the screen for you. Notice I said the New King James, not the Old King James. Here we go. Verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. You never knew nuns had kids, did you? Anyway, that's, that's a cheesy joke, isn't it? I, I'm surprised you laughed at that. Yeah, it's not worth laughing at. Okay. The Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, wouldn't you like this? If you're a leader, you take over, and he goes, your mentor's dead. Get on with it. 
okay. It's like, Moses, my servant, is dead. He brings him into now. Now. This is a now word. This is not a yesterday's word, and it's not even the future. It's like, start right now. Arise. In other words, you can't start unless you get up. You got to get up. If you're down and you stay down and you don't get moving, you don't go anywhere. Right? Get up. Get moving. Go over the Jordan. You know what the Jordan was? Anybody here ever been to the Jordan River? I've been. I've been there a couple of times. Anybody been to the Jordan? No. Interesting. You need to. When I went there, I stood on Mount Nebo. Not Nemo, Nebo. Where Moses stood and he looked over the promised land. And he said, promised land, milk and honey, awesome. And then he went off and died. Serious, he did. Um, I stood on Mount Nebo and I looked at the promised land and went, Lord, have mercy. If that's promise, what in the world was a wilderness like? Because it is so dry and everything. But it doesn't stay that way. Because when the rains hit up north around Galilee and Nazareth and they flood down through the Jordan, the place is just overflowing. You can't even get near the Jordan. And here they are. And the Jordan for them is this barrier between the old and the new. They've got to get through it. And he says, go over it. Okay? You and all this people. Right. And I can tell you now, when it's in flood period, you cannot swim it. He said, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. You know, the coming of the new follows the passing of the old. Okay? The coming of the new follows the passing of the old. The new things that God wants to do is not a renovation of the old. God's not trying to remake you into something you were, but a better version, like an upgrade. God's not about upgrades. He's about the new. All right? And here's the deal. For this to take place, the old has got to be out of the way. The death of Moses was final, and this is what God said. They took 30 days to mourn his death, but they did it with no body, no casket, no burial. Isn't this weird? Because if you read the scriptures, you know what happens? God took him and buried him. Hmm. Why in the world did that happen? Because he never, ever wanted them to go back to the grave and just hang on to the old. Oh, in the days of Moses, it was like this. And we were, oh, God, would you just raise him up? Can we have Moses again? And that's why a lot of people don't move into the new. They don't let go of the old. See, it says in the Bible, there was no other prophet in history like Moses. There was nobody that met face to face with God as a friend like Moses. Not even Joshua. Joshua wanted it, but he didn't have it like that. And so God had to hide his body so that people didn't worship Moses and the old. That's pretty rough, isn't it? Like people say, you can't even grieve unless you can see and touch the body. That's not true. You know how you grieve best? Honor them. Move on. I've got a little bit of American Indian in me, and our culture was like this. Once the grieving period is over, you move on. You don't even talk about them anymore. You don't have pictures up everywhere about them. You don't carry on as if they're still here because you know they've gone to a better place and the thing that they want and God wants is for you to move on, to live, not to stop in your tracks like you're dead. I have actually not had the privilege but the the horrible duty of burying one spouse who dies within weeks of their spouse dying because they can't live without them. 
Now, I know you become one flesh and it's a tough thing without them. But that's not the way God designed it. God still has a life for you. And we will see them again. And it's not to dishonor them. You honor them by mourning and then you honor them by moving on. And this is what God is saying to Joshua. In no way, shape, or form does it mean to disregard or dishonor what or who went before. They honored Moses through and through. What it means is there's a passing from one to the other to go forward, like a race. Moses himself recognized this. You know that. He said, the news coming. Deuteronomy chapter 34, read it. What does he do? He brings Joshua over and lays hands on him. He says, I'm giving to you what I had because I'm, I'm going. And he released it. He knew for them to be everything God had destined them to be, he had to hand it on. Kind of makes you feel dispensable. It does. It makes, what was all of that about? You know, somehow we think we're indispensable. Oh, the church could never do without me. Oh, sweetheart, I got news for you. Church is bigger than any of us because it's his church, not ours. We, we leave a church and we think, good, it's going to die. Watch, just sit back and watch. It'll die. I'm gone. Man, I think the church I used to lead over at South Australia, if I rocked up there now, they go, didn't, didn't you used to be the janitor here? They wouldn't even know who I was. There's something within us that needs a legacy that still worships us. But the genuine legacy says, don't cling to me. Because there's something better and bigger than me. And it's coming. Because the time of Exodus was over. The time of wilderness was going to be behind them. The old has got to pass. And just like the children of Israel had to release Moses, there's some things that we've got to let go of if God's going to take us to a new place. And that's one of the toughest things to get in that season. Why do people hang on to the old? Because of insecurity. The old sometimes, we think it gives us this sense of familiar, it's predictable, it's solid. But you know what it is? It's holding us back. I said to Jono, surely she doesn't take that thing to school, does she? I can imagine her walking down the aisle, getting married, (laughs) with her blankie up to her mouth. I pray to God the thing rots before then. Listen, God wants to take you, me, us to a new place that's a place of adventure, but it means a risk. So what's that place for you today? Okay. Second thing, the coming of the new is preceded by hearing his voice. You need to, you need to go hear Pastor Janet do this thing on, because it's not just, I think God might, be, God might be saying something. No, it says it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua. I mean, Joshua was just standing there. He's looking. He's on this side of the Jordan. He's looking at the Jordan in floodwaters. Maybe in the distance he can see Jericho. And he's standing there going, where's Moses? He's the man. All of a sudden, boom, God rocks up to him, talks to him, face to face. Because the deal is this, guys. Hearing God brings faith, and faith gives us the courage to risk. Let me say it again. I think it's on the screen. Hearing God brings faith. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And faith gives us the courage to risk because I'm not doing it on my own because it's wishful thinking. I'm doing it because I heard God. Right? 
And the thing that qualified Joshua for hearing the voice of God was that he lingered in the presence of God. Think about this for a minute. Not even Caleb. Caleb was an awesome man, incredible man. I think Caleb was the kind of warrior that said, won't we just kill them all right now and we'll go in. Like that's Caleb's spirit. You think that's not his spirit? When they went over to the promised land, Joshua said, just camp. You're an old man, just camp. Oh man, I'll kick your butt. What are you talking about? I want the mountains. Give me the mountains. I mean, Caleb was a fighter through and through, but Joshua was a man who wanted the presence of God. And only Joshua, when Moses went up on the mountain, who went to the foot of the mountain? Joshua stayed there 40 days. When Moses would leave the camp where the Israelites were at, and he needed to hear God, he'd go to this place called the Tent of Meeting. That's where he met with God. And the Israelites would watch the presence of God descend on that tent when Moses was in there. Guess where Joshua was? At the door of the tent. When Moses came out of the tent and left the presence of God and went back to his tent, guess where Joshua was? He was still at the Tent of Meeting even when Moses left. He was hungry for the presence of God. Listen, this young man, He watched his mentor commune with God and he knew that Moses was passionate to see the presence of God and so it must have created in Joshua this hunger for God. So God says, I've chosen him. Interesting. He could have chose Caleb and said, we'll wipe everybody out. Just be you and me. We'll start with a new breed. Instead, he chose a man who loved presence, which is interesting. And in a time of change over to the new guys, it's imperative we hear God speaking to us. This isn't wishful thinking. It isn't what I want. It's what he wants. And I want to tell you, he's ready and willing to speak if we'll take the time to linger in his presence. You go, yeah, but I'm not hearing anything, man. It's just, I've asked God time and time again, and there's silence. Well, sometimes there's silence because we're still clinging to the old. And God's not going to, he's not going to talk to you through a microphone of the old like this. Sorry, Rosalie. It's kind of, he's not going to talk to you like that. He wants to talk when it's clear. Okay? He's not going to talk through muddy waters, but through clear waters. Maybe you're not hearing because it's just a timing issue. So you wait. But you wait doing what? In his presence. It might be that we need to learn to seek his face before we seek his hand. In other words, all you ever talk to God about is to get him to do something for you. You never just sit with him and go, oh, Father, you're amazing. I I can't believe I'm in your family. This is so awesome that you would choose me. You you just don't talk to God like that. You only come when you go, hey, God, I need a raise at my job. Do it. I used to play baseball in South Australia. I was the only Christian on the team. I usually join teams like that. I don't join Christian teams. I'm in a Christian team. That's enough. Um, I get teamed out with Christians after a while. Anyway. We get in the grand final, and sure as the world, the guys look at me and go, right, Padre, tell the man upstairs we want to win the grand final. It's like, yeah, okay. And we didn't that, week, that year. They didn't ask me to talk to the father again. <laughs> but listen, guys, it's important that we come to God with no agenda. Just a willingness to follow where he leads, to do what he says, to be willing to step out and take risks. But let me tell you something. This is not a blind leap of faith. We, faith is not blind. You know, people who say, oh, you guys just take a, a blind leap of faith or you take a leap of faith into the dark, not true. We get a pathway that is lit up by the Word of God. He said it. I will, light, I will be a lamp. Not I will give you a lamp. I will be a lamp unto your path. 
what did Jesus say when he came? In John, he says, I'm the light of the world. Not I'll give you light. I'm the light. I am. And the deal is this. It's not blind because if we'll wait and listen, we'll hear promises. We'll hear plans. And, and there's so many in the Word that speak about God's plans for our lives, how good they are and how He orders our steps and He directs our paths. Just listen. Trust. Believe. So you see, next thing is this, coming, the coming of the new is assured by his promises. Okay? It's not just me going, oh, I hope it works. Oh, God, I don't do something and go, God, both you and I are going to get embarrassed if you don't make this work. That's not faith. Faith is God saying, I've already given it to you. Now take this ridiculous step and it'll work. That's, why it, that's, usually, the, that's usually the order the way things happen. People said to me, Pastor Keith, they wanted this blueprint and a manual. What are we going to do with the new building? I said, we're going to use it. What are we going to use it for? The community. Yeah, but doing what? Wait and see. Serious. It took, there's no, oh, there is a board member here. Don't worry, it's all recorded. I don't care anyway. <laughs> I, I, I've been in this role 40 years. I can fire me. I'll find another one. <laughs> What's better, I'll create another one. Anyway, um, it took the board members months, and, and rightfully so, and I gave them the time to go, we now see it. Because they were saying, what are we going to do with it? And that is a reasonable question. So we just go, Father, what are we going to do with it? He goes, just start here. Just, 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 just start. How do we start? Buy it. Just buy it. And then follow me. You get assured by his promises. And if we go back to Joshua chapter 1, second part of verse 2, I'm going to read it in the New Living this time. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. Verse 3. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you. I want you to look at something with me for a minute. Look at the interplay of the words going on here. There are two verbs used, and they're in different tenses. The first one that's given is about the process that says, I am giving. All right? So God says... I'm giving the land to you. It's a process. In other words, you don't have it yet. You haven't crossed the Jordan. You've got this massive river in front of you. You hadn't even begun to camp in the land, and I'm giving it to you. Which meant there was something that needed to take place in the lives of the people. There was a process that needed to happen, which started with, we've got to get across that river. I'm giving it to you. But then just in the very next verse, he says, I've already given it to you. So he moves from process to possession. Wow. Whoa. And he says this, it's a done deal. I've signed the title deed. I own it. And I gave it to Abraham. Genesis 15, years and years ago, I gave it to Abraham. Your father. It's yours. And it's like the title deed is already yours, 
but you now need to get prepared to move in. It's like all of a sudden your dad bought you the biggest, best house in Newcastle and it's sitting empty and unfurnished because you are afraid to move in. How am I going to pay the electricity bill? How am I going to pay the land rates? Who's going to keep the thing up? If your father gave it to you, surely he's going to take care of that. There's a promised land. It is awesome, but they're giants. Don't you think I can take care of them? If I can buy the land, don't you think I can take care of a few people? Hmm. You've got to be prepared to move into the new. There's a significant point going on here, not just the language I'm giving, I have given. But there's a significant point here in, throughout this passage, and it's this, that God isn't just giving the promise to Joshua. This is why they had to wait for 40 years. Listen to me. God didn't want just two people and their families going into the promised land. He wanted a nation to go in. God doesn't want just pastors Darren and Beck to do well. He wants a church to do well. And the language here is inclusive. I have given it to them, not just you. Because the deal is this, guys. His promises are not just for us, the leaders of the church. God's plan involves all of us. And when he tells us that he's about to take us to a new place, you go, great, go ahead, we'll cheer for you. We don't need cheerleaders. We need team members. And he's including every one of us. And while his plans are for the church, corporately, his plans are also for you individually. Your plans are interwoven with his plans for this plan. And don't ask me to say that again. But it's true. Why? Because you are a part of the body. And when one part of the body does well, the rest of the body does well. Right? And you are part of this body. And you make it do well. So the deal is God has plans for you. A new place for your marriage. A new place for your career. A new place. Who said it earlier? I think Pastor Christina. New place in your health. A new place for your life to go to. For your kids. And we get ourselves ready for entering the new place by believing the promise. See, first and foremost, it's about trusting God. Belief isn't just, yeah, I know it. I heard it. I read it. I know it. Uh -uh. When God says believe, he goes, trust it. If I say I'm going to take you across the Jordan, okay, God, split it or build a bridge. He goes, no, stick your feet in. Just stick your feet in, but do it in order. Which is interesting. God gave Joshua an order. It wasn't haphazard. All right, one, two, three, everybody dive in. No, no, no. There was an order. You know what the order was? The presence of God goes first. The priests. Imagine the priest standing there. Right. You want us to put our feet in there and we're holding a box, a big gold box that weighs more than all of us. And this thing is in flood waters. You stick your feet in, Joshua. Right, Pastor Darren, you want us to go out and outreach and you want us to go talk to people who don't even like Jesus. You do it. And we'll follow. He goes, no, you're priests. Stick your feet in. Stick your feet in. Hmm. Don't just know the promise. Believe the promise. And God reminds Joshua that his promise he gave to Moses was still in play. You probably wouldn't have to dig too deep to find out that the promise that God 
is giving to you to move into this new season has probably been around you for a while. Let me say it this way. Often he gives a word to a leader, a person with a gift of prophecy, or even our parents before he gives it to us. And they're hanging on to this word, this promise. If you ever have a kid go off the rails or backslide, what do you do? Do you curse God? Do you hate the kid? Or do you hang on to the promise he gave you for that child? Why'd you dedicate your kids at the beginning anyway? Just to have a nice religious ceremony, get your relatives there so they might get saved? No, it's far more than that because in your heart of hearts, you believed a destiny and a plan for that kid. And no matter what the evidence shows at a season, listen, even Billy Graham's son went off the rails massively and he's now leading worldwide evangelistic crusades. Hang on to the promise. The new is when we take God at his word. And usually somebody's got that word about you before you got it. Years ago, God gave a promise to this church. Even before my time, which is interesting. I don't know if you guys know this. But he promised that he would take this church, Victory, into a place of significance in this city and beyond. And he also said he'd raise it up to be a light on a hill and cause it to be influential for the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you, there have been times in my time, 23 years now, where it felt like we were in the wilderness. You know, it really felt like wilderness times. It sucked. Manna was old. Telling you. And even the quail that fell out of the sky, you got sick of that. But I want to tell you, his word's still in play. And even though we haven't fully possessed it yet, we keep believing that it's coming. And that we will. The title deed is already paid for. Right? That similar thing might have taken place in your life. You've had promises, words from God about your life, your family, your kids, your marriage, your business, your future, and they haven't materialized. And you think, God, hey, I'm just wandering in circles. Seems to be no purpose or significance to this. And you cry, God, where are your promises? I want to encourage you. Just go back to his word. Let's go back to the promise. Build yourself up with a promise. Believe them like you did when you first heard it. Don't just believe the promise. Get yourself ready for entering the new place by acting on the promise. Don't just go, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Don't do that. Because true faith works. The children of Israel had been at this place before where they looked at the promised land, right? You remember? 40 years before. They're near the edge. They can see how good it is. But so they send 12 men over. Go have a good look for us. Yep. Come back. Two of them are going, yes. Ten are going, no. <laughs> By the way, whoever said the majority was right? Whoever said democracy was of God? <laughs> I'm not a communist. But democracy is the will of the masses. Listen to me. And whoever said in God's scheme of things that the masses are hearing the voice? Mm, just, just a thought. We'll start a new party. Anyway, <laughs> these guys were standing there 40 years before. They're looking at it going, oh, it looks so good. And the voices come back going, it is filled with life. But other voices come back and go, they're giants. There's obstacles. We can't do this. We're nothing but grasshoppers. You see the difference? They're giants. We're grasshoppers. Yeah. They stood there 40 years ago and looked at it. Instead of stepping out in faith, 
They cowered backwards in fear. How many times have you been at a place where God says go and you go, I can't. I don't have enough. I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not intelligent enough. I can't speak good enough. I can't do this. God says, did I ever tell you you had to do it alone? I told a kid with a slingshot to kill a giant. I told an old man with a rod to part a Red Sea. I told a prophet who was wild and crazy out in the bush to call down fire when 400 others couldn't. Who said you got to do it alone? They didn't act on faith. They acted on fear, but not this time. They stood there, and under Joshua's leadership, they said, we will not be crippled by fear. And this was a moment in history for them to march into the new. But it's going to mean acts of faith and dedication. Listen, just read the story. I wish I could read the story from 1 all the way up to chapter 6 for you and fast forward or whatever. But read the story about the miracle of the crossing of the river. That was a miracle in and of itself. Read the story about the unusual event where God uses a prostitute to save them. It's like going down. I don't know if they still hang out at Islington, but it's like going down and saying to one of the prostitutes, come on, you're going to be on our board at church. Did you know, by the way, if you read the lineage of Jesus Christ, that this prostitute was one of his great-grandmothers? It is not a story of sin. It's a story of redemption. Okay, just saying, just saying, just saying. Read about the acts of dedication when they cross. Read about the next encounter. There's Joshua. He's just standing there. Imagine Pastor Darren standing there staring at a new building. God, how in the world can we do this? It's too big for us. It's too expensive for us. It's too whatever for us. And all of a sudden... Imagine God rocking up in front of him. And, man, he's just this imposing UFC fighter-looking man. Looking down. I mean, he's pretty tall, but he's looking down. And he's looking at him with a look like, what are you doing? And so Pastor Darren gets a bone and goes, are you for me or against me? Ready to fight. UFC style. Bring on the cage. And all of a sudden the guy looks at you and says, Neither are you on my side. I own the building. Darren realizes at that moment he's talking to the Lord. This is Joshua's encounter. So the deal is this. Faith calls for action. Faith without obedience doesn't work. Faith is like the glove, but obedience is like the hand that goes in the glove. And when we put our faith into action, we possess the title deed, as it were. I remember I was only a Christian a bit over a year. I was going off to this Christian university to get ready for ministry. And I remember my mother distinctly saying to me, how in the world are you going to pay for this? Because I can't. Her whole income for a year could not pay everything I needed to go to that university for one, you know, each year. Private university. I just looked at her with a smile with my brand new Christian ignorance and said, God will provide. Five years later, walk out with three degrees. God paid all the way, walked out without a debt. 
He provided, sometimes it was me cleaning toilets that he provided, thank you, Jesus, but he provided. Yeah. Serious, I drove buses, cleaned toilets, I did whatever I could because I believed the title deed was mine. Yeah. Right. Or he had it. And I want to tell you, it's time because God is saying, you want to come up and start playing, Todd? There you are. I believe God is saying to many of you, it's time now for you to move into the new. That new venture, that new ministry, that new thing that God's been whispering in your ear and you've been crippled by fear and doubt, not today. This is your moment. You are not going to listen to the voices of doubt and insecurity and fear anymore. I can't do this. Yes, you can. It might take some crazy things to happen and have an encounter with God, but it will happen. 37 years ago, after God had spoken to Janet and myself, we moved here, well, to Wyala with three suitcases, a 10-week-old baby, and the calling of God, and no fixed income. One-way tickets. I remember our relatives saying to us, you need to buy a round ticket. Nope. Nope. It's all or nothing. One-way tickets. I remember Janet's parents saying to us, why don't you just store your furniture just in case? Nope. Giving it away or selling it, we've got to buy a plane ticket. Yeah, but what if you come back? There's a big if there. I've met people before who said God had put a calling on my life, but I'm going to go get a degree first just in case. Like, I'm going to get a teaching degree or an engineering degree. If the calling doesn't work, I've got something to fall back on. God is not into safety nets. You go, yeah, but that sounds ridiculous. God sometimes does the ridiculous. 19 years ago, God spoke to a young couple about starting a church as part of a new vision. A new vision never been seen like this before. And they left behind the old way of doing things. Newly married, trying to save money to get a house, start their careers, start preparing for travel, house, children, and everything they left all that behind, not that they didn't have children and God didn't provide, but that no longer was what they were pursuing. They were preparing to start this new church. And so they started their preparation for this new church. And seven, uh, next month marks 17 years of the beginning of this venture. And you are sitting in that church right now. And this is the couple, pastors Darren and Beck, because they took a risk. Because they heard God and they stepped into the new. Sometimes the new that God's going to, call you into doesn't even make sense. God, this just doesn't make sense. When we left America, most of our relatives weren't even Christians. But God, I'm sure you want us to live next to them so we can win them. Hello, I hadn't won them yet. Since we've been gone, many of them have become Christians. I'm telling you, God will speak to you. He'll guide you. He'll work in and through those strange circumstances. But your responsibility is this. Listen, obey, and move. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.